Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined today by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I'm good. I have put Michael Penix behind me, and I am excited to probably lose by a good chunk to Ohio State. Ooh, I, I, I don't know how much I like nihilistic Matt. I don't know how well that uh, that fits you. It, I flip back and forth between like us getting blown out and then bouncing right back. It's like, all right, maybe they can hang in it. But uh, in this moment, I'm sure I'll change in like 20 minutes uh, to uh, to kind of more optimistic, Matt. Yeah, you're doing a I mean, you're going from Matt, the pretty optimistic human to Matt, the person who likes Philadelphia sports teams. So like that's always going to be uh, a pendulum swinging back and forth. You know what I mean? The Sixers have rebuilt their front office, though, with actual competent humans, so I am all the way back in on that front. Yes, you and I will certainly talk about uh, that amongst ourselves after this, but while we're here, I mean, we might as well talk about Penn State's game against Ohio State this week, and we might as well have someone from our sister site, 11 Warriors, on to discuss the game. So it's time for our annual podcast with our pal, Kev, pal Kevin Harris. Kevin, what is going on, my man? Oh, not too much, just getting ready for the big game, as they say. So, uh, um, you know, it's it's good to be 1-0. Yeah, well, I, I wish I knew what that was. Well, I mean, Penn State is 1-0. It's just that they, they're not 1-0 in the in the standings. I, I just mm. a quick a quick question for you. Like, do you, are you as, um, I, I'm guessing you're probably a lot like me and Matt. Uh, when Penn State and Ohio State play, like, it always has this really big, gravity about it and that's something that is doubly true for me when Penn State goes to Ohio State because I know what that environment's going to be on the flip side we have we've heard over and over there is nothing in sports like the Penn State whiteout but that's not happening this year like does this game kind of lack a little bit of juice for you uh as the person whose team is going into Happy Valley knowing that you're not going to be uh watching a team step into what very well might be the most intimidating environment in college football yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why this game lost a little juice. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is uh, the injuries for, for Penn State. Um, you know, Micah Parsons not being around, too. Um, and I, obviously there's that whiteout factor, too, and the fact that Penn State uh, just lost to Indiana. So I, I don't I don't feel the juice um, as much as I probably have in the past about this game um, just for all those reasons. I, that doesn't mean that it's not like probably the outside of Michigan, like the one game that, um, you know, Ohio state fans are like ready to get up for, um, this year, but I don't know. I, you're, you're kind of right in that it's missing a little juice than it usually has when, uh, you've got a crowd involved yeah. and stuff too. Absolutely. But still, when the ball kicks off, like this is something that I said, uh, on the Indiana recap pod, this is still, this still could very well end up being a Big Ten championship play-in game if Penn State ends up winning. If Ohio State ends up winning it, uh, we'll see what ends up happening with Michigan, like all that stuff. But for how bad uh, last week felt for Penn State fans, this still is an opportunity for them, for Penn State's football team, to control their own destiny if they're able to come out on top against Ohio State this week. Buckeyes coming in 1-0, number three team in college football. Uh, Las Vegas likes them Ohio State 11 point favorites with an over under of 64 and a half against the 18th ranked Nittany Lions before we get into take the over take uh, well I am sure we will talk about that before we get into uh before we get into this game I want to talk a little bit about a game that we watched last week because we watched it from two very different uh, perspectives, and I don't mean Penn State, Indiana, I mean Ohio State 52, Nebraska 17. Uh, it was a, it was certainly a football game. Justin Fields torched the Cornhusker defense. Uh, Nebraska's offense had a little bit of juice to it in the first half, but ended up tapering off. Uh, Kevin, as someone who watched it through Buckeye eyes, what were your thoughts on that game? Did it go about how you expected? Was Nebraska a little friskier than you thought? Was Ohio State a little better than you thought? Just what was going through your head as you were watching four quarters of Ohio State against Nebraska? I think it it settled. Um, so like at it, it first, there's the there's the obvious. Uh, Nebraska went four plays, seventy five yards for a touchdown, um, and that was. Uh, 
definitely, definitely had, um, I could tell you from my Twitter Twitter feed that um, Ohio State fans were not super stoked about that. And there were definitely some flashbacks to the uh, 2018 season where um, Ohio State had the worst defense in, uh, you know, probably Ohio State history. And so there, there was uh, there were definite flashbacks to that, like a here we go again sort of thing. And um, there was also the uh, fact that Ohio State really couldn't get it started on the on the ground game. So it was kind of like a, a tale of of uh, of two halves, I guess, because Ohio State actually seemed to figure out those problems. Like by the by the end of the game, they're moving the ball just fine. And um, I, I think they held after getting gouged on the first drive. I think they held them to like held uh, Nebraska to like. 5.3 yards per play or something like that. So it got much better. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously watching it as a, as a casual, you probably saw it got much better too. But um, I don't know. I, I think there's definitely uh, from an Ohio State side of things, you're looking at that defense get absolutely shredded by a uh, middling team like Nebraska and you get, start to get shades of uh, Purdue and Iowa all over again. But um, they, they rebounded pretty quick, and I, I think the offense, especially uh, especially the passing attack, I think that's the one thing that looked even better than I could have possibly imagined. You know, dude goes, Justin Fields went 20 for 21. Um, his only incompletion was a dropped pass in the end zone. So I uh, couldn't be more perfect. Um, the two receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, um, really couldn't have been much better. So I, I think the offense, specifically the passing game, was um, – honestly somehow better than I expected it to be and, and you know I, when you mentioned the rushing attack I actually went back into the box score and I did not like I just didn't inter- internalize that while Justin Fields by no means is a statue in the pocket he's someone who's going to want to throw and he can beat you with his arm as well as any quarterback in college football I forgot that he was Ohio State's top rusher, uh, 15 carries, 54 yards, which is not necessarily something that you want Justin Fields to be doing. Uh, Matt, I want to toss this question to you, someone who watched it from the Penn State perspective. Uh, What did you think about this game as we saw Ohio State? Like Kevin mentioned, I don't want to say sleepwalk through a half. I don't want to say get confused by half. Nothing like that. But what? After halftime, it seemed like we saw the Ohio State team that we expect to see against a team like Nebraska. Yeah, I'm never going to hold something against the team for, for looking a bit slow coming out of like 10 months off in a very bizarre offseason. Uh, you know, kudos to Nebraska. Like they, they've been hyping themselves up as a team that can maybe make a splash. And hey, they scored. So that's really all they can ask for. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it was a lot of what we expected. And even though it came a little bit later, I, I kind of likened it to the uh, to the Penn State Buffalo game last year where they came out a little slow, looked a little rusty, had them, had some things to work out. And then kind of once they settled in, it was game over. And that's, I think, a major luxury Ohio State has with just such a talented roster. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not too worried with a lot of the problems that I saw with Ohio State, you know. Mainly, you know, the, the lack of a real number one back and, you know, the rushing defense wasn't fantastic. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is a team that's frankly too talented to really let those things carry over from week to week. Now, I hope that they don't work it out until next week, um, but I, I'm not really going to put that much stock into a uh, what ended up being a, like a 35 point win or whatever it was. So I, I do want to ask and this, you know, I kind of throw this out to either of you. Is there anything that you think we can take away from this game and kind of apply it to the Penn State, Ohio State game, whether it is something that, you know, Ohio State's going to be able to do against Penn State and it's going to be really hard for Penn State to stop it and it was on display against the Huskers, or look, here is something that is exploitable that the Nittany Lions are going to be able to do or slow down on either side of the football. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I guess from from my perspective, I I I'm trying to think of like, I, you know, it, it always happens. You start to think of like the worst case scenario in in your mind, and I, I think the absolute worst case scenario for Ohio State would be that Penn State moves the ball at will, um, whether it's on the ground or and or in or through the air, um, you know, and 
Ohio State can't get a ground attack and can't really control the ball and um, do much of anything like that. And uh, even in that scenario, I think that Ohio State wins just because the passing attack is that good. Um, But I I think there's definitely some areas that uh, Ohio State showed um, that they can, you know, they're vulnerable, I guess, like an Achilles heel, if you will. Um, Like, you know, uh, Sean Clifford obviously was Penn State's leading rusher and Ohio State had all kinds of problems uh, handling both of Nebraska's quarterbacks. And that kind of goes back to last year. Nobody was really able to hurt Ohio State this way until um, Trevor Lawrence was uh, prancing down the field. But, um, you know, Ohio State has had problems defending quarterbacks that can run a little bit. And I'm not going to accuse Sean Clifford of being like Braxton Miller or anything like that, but um, he can move. And I think that could pose problems, especially in a young secondary a pass rush that really hasn't been getting there, um, you know, and it, it can be leaky. And so I, if there's anything that I could see, uh, maybe some some blown plays or uh, something going awry, I think it could be um, a quarterback getting loose and um, coming up with chunks of yardage. And yeah, Matt, same question to you. Yeah, so I, I think it's it's obvious that if Penn State wants a chance to, to stay in this game and, and you know, the long shot to win it. They have to control the clock. And it, it's such a bummer about Noah Kane, man, because this is exactly the kind of game where you need a guy like him. But I thought Kayvon Lee ran really well, and, and I was really impressed with him. So I think Penn State needs to re- – if, if they throw more than 20 times, things have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> I, I think that's that's a pretty open and shut case here. Um, But, yeah, Clifford, Clifford can do a lot of damage with his legs. I, I think that's something that – people really forgot about because I think we compare him to Trace McSorley, you know, pretty often, but you know, McSorley was a fantastic athlete and, and probably could have played a variety of other positions at the D one level. Clifford's a quarterback through and through. So I think Penn state really needs to rely on its running game, rely on that stable of backs. Devin Ford, if you want this job, here's your chance. This is the game where Devin Ford can really prove that he belongs among this as the leader of this fantastic Penn state running back room. We all thought it, it could be him, but we didn't exactly think it would be him here week two of 2020. So, you know, I, I think that that is something Penn State needs to focus on. And then if they can control the clock, hope that by some miracle, you know, Justin Fields has an off day or, you know, receivers drop passes or, you know, some dude steps up in that secondary. And, you know, if that happens, this is a chance to be close. And, you know, maybe a long shot Penn State can pull the upset. So let's get into the game now. Like, that's a really good segue, Matt. Normally the segues are my thing. So uh, kudos to you. Let's get into the game here and do what we did with Indiana last week. Break it down into when Ohio State has the ball and when Penn State has the ball. I want to start with when Ohio State has the ball because something that has kind of uh, been mentioned uh Maybe not this explicitly, but this undercurrent uh, has been here the entire time. Ohio State's passing game, Justin Fields, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, um, just the sheer number of ways they could... I mean, I mentioned those players. I didn't get into the Real fact... Real quick, is Olave playing? Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, he is? Yeah. I mean, you know... Ward knows what happens, but uh, Kevin, he has he been practicing this week? That sort of thing. He he's been practicing, and he was just listed as okay. uh, available, so he he'll be he'll be full good to go. So it's Justin Fields, top two quarterback in college football. If you want to put him number one over Trevor Lawrence, that's your prerogative. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, two guys who are going to hear their names called in the first round of the NFL draft. They have a very. <laughs> Very, very talented tight end room, uh, Luke Farrell, Jeremy Ruckert. And then they have young dudes uh, who can contribute. Uh, Jameson Williams, talented guy. Jackson Smith, uh, how do I pronounce his last name, Kevin? Jigba. 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 Kevin Smith Jigba uh, had that fantastic touchdown catch uh, against Nebraska. And then uh, Julian Flamengo. I don't I don't know how to pronounce that, uh, but I'm, I'm sure he's a fantastic football player. They have so much talent in this passing attack, uh, Matt, and I'm going to start with you on this one. I think that if Penn State wants to win this football game, even with Ohio State's issues running the ball, which we'll get to in a second, 
they have to stop Ohio State's passing attack. Can they do that? Because again, I think this will this has the potential to determine the entire football game. They're not going to slow this passing game down, frankly, because we've never seen Penn State be able to do it. Uh, even going back to like Kenny Pickett days to Brian Lewerke days, like it, whenever Penn State, you know, goes even prevent, they get shredded. I don't know what it is, but it's simply not something they can do. So in order to slow it down, honestly, I think you blitz. I think you blitz all night and you try to get Shaka Tony and Jason Oway freed up. I think you bring Joey Porter. I think you bring Jesse Lucchetto when he comes back in the second half. You know, um, Curtis Jacobs, if he gets in there, Brandon Smith, I think you blitz all night and try to give Justin Fields as little time as possible and hope he makes a mistake or with any luck you get to him. And, and I just think that's the best route because for the past four, five, whatever many years you want to say, I have not seen a Penn State secondary be able to step up and slow down an elite quarterback. I had that piece last year. Elite quarterbacks keep having career days against Penn State. You know, JT Barrett had, I think, his two best completion percentages games against Penn State. Like, this is not something the Penn State defense is built to do. So if you want any chance, you blitz all night and you bet on Jason Owe, Shaka Tony, and hopefully some of your linebackers getting home and forcing turnovers and really making sure that that Ohio State offense gets off the field. Yeah, I, I, I love the idea, uh, Matt, of Penn State basically not getting conservative in that. You know, you're not being happy with, not going, we have to rush three, we have to rush four, uh, so we can have extra men back them, back slowing them down, because you're not going to do that. You have to go for broke. You have to play like you're trying to, in the great, the words of the immortal, uh, uh, was, it, was this Herm Edwards or uh, Denny Green? I can never remember who it was. You play to win the game. That was Herm. That was Herm. Mm -hmm. You play to win the game. They got to try and do that, and they can't play to not lose. Uh, Kevin, same question to you. Is there any way that Penn State can slow down uh, this Ohio State passing attack? Yeah, and I, I'm I'm going to tend to agree there. I think really the only only way um, you're you have a hope of doing that is to put pressure on Justin Fields, and I think that's the nobody has really done that outside of I guess maybe Clemson. Um, but nobody's really had success with doing it either way. But when Justin Fields is not at his best, it's when he has hands in his face and he's being chased around and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, that still hasn't bothered him up till this point um, because it's it's been done before. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that's your best bet. I, I don't think that Ohio State's played a pass rushing duo like Shaka Tony and Jason Oway uh, quite yet. Um, you know, I, that that's no disrespect to Clemson, uh, but I, I, I think those are, that's probably the best pass rushing duo on the schedule this year. Uh, maybe the best pass rushing duo Justin Fields has seen. So that's probably your best bet. I think, especially against a, a young uh, offensive tackle, um, Nicholas Petit Frere is making his, uh, well, third career start. Um, he's, he had a start last year, but it, he's a first-year starter this year. Um, and so I, I think maybe getting some pressure off the edge, uh, maybe finding a way to attack the the middle. Uh, there's a new starter in Harry Miller who kind of struggled last week. Uh, not not so much in pass protection, but he he uh, he's a he's a new guy. He's going to be on the road, um, true sophomore. So there there is a way if you can get pressure on Justin Fields to maybe force some stops, maybe force some turnovers. Um, it's not to say that that's happened very much, but I, I, I like your odds of blitzing and trying to force a little havoc there than I do just playing back and letting Justin Fields pick you apart because he will pick you apart. And if he doesn't pick you apart with his arm, he'll pick you apart with his legs. So I think you have to be the aggressor when you play a quarterback like Justin Fields. And so that's what I expect Penn State to do. I, I expect them to throw blitz after blitz after blitz, as you were alluding to. And, and then the thing that every quarterback who is getting that pressure in their face really, really wants is to have a running game that could take some of the pressure off of them, Kevin. But like, I don't, this all this feels like a famous last words thing. <laughs> last week, Ohio State's running game 
you know, I'm looking at the guys that they relied on. Fields, 15 carries, 54 yards, 3.6 yards per carry. Trey Sermon, the uh, Oklahoma transfer, 11 carries, 48 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. Master Teague, 12 carries, 41 yards, 3.4 yards per carry. A few other guys got 2, 3, 4 after that. But those were really the three. They didn't have the kind of really strong physical, efficient running game that I kind of expect out of Ohio State. And this was coming up against a Penn State team that has hung its hat in recent years on keeping teams from being able to really get going on the ground. I mean, while Ohio State certainly had a good game uh, on the ground last year, uh, J.K. Dobbins toted the rock uh let's see, 36 times for 157 yards. For J.K. Dobbins, those weren't great numbers. Uh, What do you think about the Ohio State rushing attack? Can it come alive against a Penn State defense that is really, really, really good at keeping you from getting yards on the ground? Yeah, I know a lot of people on our our uh, bluffs online forums, but there's a lot of people losing their minds at Ohio State not being able to run the ball. Uh, and, and I think people are really have really short memories because the exact same thing happened last year with uh, J.K. Dobbins against Florida A&M, or Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, the Fighting Lane Kiffins. But uh, he, you know, I'm looking back at the stats, and last year, he, J.K. Dobbins, J.K. Dobbins had 21 carries for just 92 yards and he really didn't get going until the second half. And so there were a lot of people that were saying Master Teague uh, should be starting over J.K. Dobbins at this point last year. And so I, I think especially in a running attack, and Ryan Day kind of brought this up at the end of the game last or, uh, last week, that when you've got a team that's for months and months and months practicing against the same front and the same front four uh, and, you know, really the same defense, then they get they turn into game prep mode and then they all of a sudden have to prep for um, a different front and they're just seeing a different front for the first time. I think a lot of times that there's a little rust there. Um, it, it's tough to identify uh, and pick up different gaps. You know, it, your run fits are a little off. There's, there's a lot of things that are, um, that are a little bit different when you're, um, dealing with a, a team that has a, a different look than you've seen in practice for what, six months, six, eight months. Um, and that's, that's something that's going to change as you're used to doing that game prep and doing, um, you know, looking at these multiple looks and looking at these different players. So uh, I, I think there's a chance that it just turns, that ends up being um, a little better against Penn state, even though Penn state is undeniably more talented defending the run than Nebraska is. I, I think it's just even looking back to last year, this offensive line, especially on the inside, is just too good and too talented for it to be as bad as it was against Nebraska in in week one consistently. I, I think that's going to turn prove to be the uh, abnormality here um, because you've, you've got guys that really, frankly, could be playing in the NFL right now with Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and um, in the middle and uh, Harry Miller was the, the top rated uh, interior lineman in his class. So I, uh, there's too much talent there for me to think that the running game is not going to get going, especially from a, an offensive line push perspective. So I, I would not be shocked if we saw it a little bit better um, this week, but that's still not the strength. Um, you know, Ohio State's obviously going to rely on that passing attack to open up the run because well, Justin Fields and those receivers, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a huge problem going forward. So one one real quick question before I propose this to Matt. Uh, did you have a sense that Nebraska was selling out to stop the run, or was it just a matter of uh, selling out to stop the run and thereby giving Justin Fields uh, all the space he needed to pick them apart through the air, or was it a set matter of, uh, you know, Ohio State just had something working through the air. They didn't really need to establish the run all that much. I think it was kind of both. Um, you know, I I, I did not um, – I wasn't studying too much what they were necessarily selling out to do uh, specifically. But from what I saw – and I, I have watched the game twice at this point. But I, I think they were really just prepared for what Ohio State was last year. 
And Ohio State, in a sense, was kind of prepared for that, too. Um, and last year, Ohio State was a run-first offense. It really was. It, you know, you talk about Justin Fields all you want, and he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country last year, but it was a run-first offense with J.K. Dobbins, especially towards the end of the season. So when Nebraska flips on the film and is looking at what Ohio State is, um, you know, that's the tendency. Those are the play calls. Um, and so the way that you would beat Ohio State last year and kind of what Clemson did is shut down that run first. And so I, I do think that Nebraska, that was kind of what they sought out to do just because that's who Ohio State is. That's who Ohio State has been um, even under Ryan Day, even with this passing attack. And so um, I, I think Ohio State pretty quickly went into, oh, well, I guess we'll go ahead and, uh, and you know, scorch you through the air then because – We've got these two receivers and, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So I, I think it's a flip or a quick flip to switch for Ohio State. But I do kind of think that's what happened. I don't think it was necessarily a, a conscious effort to take away, um, you know, Master Teague and Trey Sermon. I think it was just a reaction to what Ohio State's shown on film, um, you know, in the last year or so. All right. And Matt, over to you. Uh, Ohio State's running game. If you want to take this from the more Penn State defense perspective, like, again, famous last words, but it feels like it might be pretty tough for Ohio State to get going on the ground, especially after what we saw last week, where Indiana, uh, they were more eager to put it through the air, but still, Stevie Scott carried the ball 20 times for 57 yards, long of 15. Like, it's not like Penn State's defense gave room for uh, Indiana to get its uh, ground game going. Yeah, traditionally, this defense isn't one teams can really figure out their run game problems against. And I think that's a big you know, tip of the cap to Brent Pry and Sean Spencer. And hopefully now John Scott Jr. keeps that going. But I thought P.J. Mustafer and Antonio Shelton played really, really well last week. And on top of that, Hakeem Beeman, shout out to him. Oh, my God. For, for a retro freshman in his first real extended action, I thought he looked outstanding. I think they're really going to miss Jesse Lucetta in that first half. I, I think... Lance Dixon's a bit small to, to really come up there and be that guy to fill those kind of gaps. But I, I'm not exactly confident that this Ohio State running attack can break out with this phenomenal front seven. So and, and I think that's a huge luxury Penn State has now to throw some blitzes at Justin Fields, like I mentioned earlier. So I, I'm not exactly confident. But at the same time, uh, this Ohio State offensive line is, is filled with pros, you know, probably at least three or four early round picks, you know, top fourth round or higher pick. So I really hope that P.J. Mustafer and Antonio Shelton carry that kind of performance over. And they're going to need a huge game out of Ellis Brooks in the middle to pick up some slack they're losing from Lucetta. I'm glad you mentioned Brooks because uh, going into our matchup to watch when Ohio State has the ball, for me, it is that chess match between Ellis Brooks, who is going to be tasked with organizing Penn State's defense, uh, whether it's him, uh, whether Lamont Wade is doing that from the secondary, whomever it might be, against Fields, who, in addition to all the physical gifts he has as someone who is a, who is mobile, as someone who can just carve up any defense with his arm, he's also a really smart guy. He's going to see if Penn State gives him even the slightest tell, something that he's able to exploit. So, I think Penn State is going to need Ellis Brooks, Lamont Wade, uh, Jaquan Brisker, whomever it ends up being, to get the defense in positions where, before the ball is snapped and as Fields is barking out orders to the 10 guys in Ohio State's offense, they're not showing their hand, and if their hand is showed at all, they're able to respond immediately to what Fields is trying to do. I think that that chess match is as big as Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields against uh, Wilson and Owave, as big as Penn State's front against Ohio State's offensive line. If Penn State is going to slow down Ohio State's offense, it needs to be perfect before the ball is snapped, because if it's not, Ohio State is going to carve them up. Uh, Matt, over to you. What is the matchup that you are going to be watching when Ohio State's offense is on the field? Yeah, Tariq Castro-Fields, I thought, played outstanding in, in week one. I thought he looked like he did in 2019 in those first, you know, month, month and a half. He looked 
really good. So it, it's got to be him. I'm not expecting a lot out of this secondary, but if that Penn State front and, and whatever bizarre blitzes they throw can get pressure, Fields is going to have to let go of the ball earlier than he wants to. And for a guy like Fields, maybe that doesn't really matter that much, but you know, maybe on four throws it'll matter, and, and that'll let TCF go out there and make a play. So I'm expecting a huge game out of him. This is a dude who wants to go pro, and if there's a game scouts are going to be watching the most, it's against this Ohio State receiving core with a bunch of dudes who are going to go pro. So I'm expecting big things out of him. You know What that means against this Ohio State offensive attack is kind of relative, but I really need to see him have a big game, establish that he's one of the better corners in the Big Ten, and if he can go out there and you know knock away three balls, maybe even pull down a pick, I think things are about as good as you can ask for for Penn State at that point. And then, Kevin, same question to you. Yeah, I'm going the same area. I, I think it's just broadly that that Penn State secondary, because I, I like we've said earlier, I think that's where the game's going to be won and lost. And the thing is that that I lean on with Penn State is that they have a ton of experience in that secondary, too, between uh, Tariq Castro Fields and Lamont Wade. Um, and and so I I think that coming into a game with um, really you look at Ohio State's receiving core, and Chris Olave is a third-year player, and he's the most experienced guy there. Um, so there, there are a lot of talent. Um, there's a lot of talent, uh, but there's it's realistic that Ohio State's going to play. You're going to see freshmen in key moments, and especially if if Chris Olave's um, covered and he's schemed out, and uh, Garrett Wilson's over there in the slot. You're, you're going to need, um, you know, some of those younger guys to make a play against. A, a veteran um, Penn State secondary, really. Um, and so I, I think I think those two guys are the guys that I have my eye on, uh, Tariq Castro-Fields and Lamont Wade, just because I think that if if Penn State is going to slow down Ohio State, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to that veteran, um, you know, that veteran presence and uh, that, that comfort against a really young, talented, but kind of unproven uh, Ohio State receiving core, especially once you get into the depth. So I think uh, as much as I think Ohio State has one of the most talented passing attacks in the country, if not the most talented passing attack, um, I think that Penn State, especially in game two on the road, um, that could be uh, a little bit of an equalizer. Probably not all the way, but it, it might slow things down a little bit just to have a veteran presence back there. Yeah, and with Lamont, there's the added context of, you know, last year, he seemed like he really took his game an extra half step forward against Ohio State, and he and Micah Parsons were involved in a couple of... uh, uh, He recovered a fumble. He might have forced one, I think. And that seemed like, you know, turnovers are always such a big deal in a game like this. If Lamont's able to do that again, if he's able to make the one or two big plays that he is wont to do... That's something that can end up being big. So that's a that's a really good shout. I want to flip over to the. I pe- think he blitzes oh, like four or five times. Sorry, I think Lamont Wade mm. blitzes like four or five times. I, I think I, agree I with think that. I think they're gonna. He plays like a man with his hair on fire in big moments. I think they're gonna let him, you know, get ahead of steam and get downhill and try to make a play. Yeah, and uh, you know, this is a uh, something that we mentioned, but Lamont got lost a few times in pass coverage last week, and if whether I got lost, slipped, whatever happened to him. If that happens again, and Michael Penix just missed guys who, calling them wide opens an understatement for how open they were, that happens again this week. Penn State's allowing points every single time. So using Lamont that way and taking advantage of his um, kind of knack for making a big play, that's something that I think that'll be a really, really, could potentially be really big for Penn State. I want to move to the other side of the ball. Uh, When Penn State has the ball, the big stuff we're going to be keeping our eye on. And the first one for me, like, I think this is gigantic. Last year in Columbus, Sean Clifford uh, ended up getting hurt, had to leave the game. 10 uh, 10 for 17, 71 yards, 4.2 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, no interceptions, six carries, zero yards. I don't want to say he was bad against Ohio State last year because that kind of undersells how not good he was. Like, he had perhaps his worst game of the season in Columbus. Not just 
production-wise, he just looked like someone who was not ready for that moment. And then last week, you know, there was a lot, there was plenty of criticism you could have levied on him, and I think he would be, he was someone who would take it on the chin. At the same time, 25 for 30, 24 for 35, 238 yards, three touchdowns, did have a pair of picks in there. Also 17 carries, 119 yards, one touchdown on that 35-yard scamper that I still can't believe he scored on. While he struggled last week, and he had a few not great moments. When he figured those out, he was very, very, very good against a very good Indiana defense, Matt. For me, I think that it is big that Sean Clifford doesn't look like the moment is too big for him like he did in last year's Ohio State game. What are your thoughts on Clifford, and what do you want him to focus on against an Ohio State defense that caused him a lot of problems last year? Clifford's a lot better at home than he is on the road. I think that's fair to say of a lot of quarterbacks, but he's a lot better at home than he is on the road. And going back to that Ohio State game last year, Clifford was very clearly banged up and he was a first time starter and he was going home like this is like his hometown program. So so I can excuse a lot of yips for a first time starter, you know, an undefeated team in the midst of one of the best seasons, you know, regular seasons I've ever seen out of a Big Ten team. So I'm not going to hold that against 2020 Sean Clifford but the biggest thing I want to see is I want to see him be smart with his legs and I want to see him take care of the football again if they throw if Penn State throws 20 times this game is out of hand and that's a problem there's no reason but you know as long as he's really smart with the football throws it away you know if he doesn't see the screen just chuck it in the dirt that's what I would have done Um, as long as he understands that not every play has to be the play I think he'll be fine. And then as for using his legs, he was really impressive. That run, I think, is shows a kind of sneaky athleticism that teams forget about. You know, the Big Ten has always had these phenomenal dual threat quarterbacks. And I think, you know, for a guy like Sean Clifford, who wasn't pegged as one of those from a very early age, people really kind of sleep on that ability that he has. So I want to see him be really smart with his legs. I want to see him make really great reads, you know. This is an Ohio State defensive front. That's not what it used to be. And that's no disrespect. But, you know, pretty much every time Penn State's played them since Larry Johnson's been there, there's been a bona fide top five pick rushing him off the edge. I don't know if that person exists yet. And I'm not saying Zach Harrison can't be. But I think Clifford needs to be smart about when to get out of the pocket and then just take off downfield because I think there's going to be lanes. So I'm just hoping for a good step forward on what we saw in week one. I thought he was fine in week one by at large. I, I thought Kirk called a really smart game. You know, they they dropped 35 points after a pandemic with a first-time offensive, not a first-time, but a new offensive coordinator. So I just really want to see Clifford be a smart game manager, take care of the football, and really understand that not every play has to be, you know, that big play that's going to win you this game. Yeah, and Kevin, from the Ohio State perspective, I, what did you think of Clifford in watching him last year against the Buckeye defense? And is there anything about him that concerns you uh, if he's able to get whatever those issues were all ironed out uh, against this Ohio State defense? Yeah, I think I think you, you made a point that, you know, he had the worst game of his season, probably his career against Ohio State last year, but like show me a quarterback last year that didn't have the worst game of his career against Ohio State. Like maybe Trevor Lawrence, but like he wasn't even super lights out against the Buckeyes either. So like I I don't think we're appreciating last year or how good that Ohio State defense was last year. Um, you know, it was it was otherworldly. You've got uh three guys were first round picks and you know depending on the on the week, you could have five or six of those guys are currently starting in the NFL as as rookies. So I I don't think that we're fully appreciating how um how good that Ohio State defense was that Clifford struggled against. So I don't think you can necessarily hold that against Clifford. I don't think you can necessarily hold that against anybody, um, just how good that Ohio State defense was. And I don't think that this year's version, especially in week two, as Matt alluded to, is uh, really the same defense as last year by any stretch. You know, they replaced seven starters 
uh, in the secondary, really the the only or seven starters on the defense, really the only uh, um, returning star is uh, is Sean Wade, um, and he's honest. He's playing a different position, you know. I I don't think I think people haven't made a big enough deal about that, but his whole career at Ohio State, and he's played safety and in the slot, and now he's outside it, uh, um, you know, outside cornerback, and so. Really, uh, he you could technically count him as a first-year starter, too, because he's playing a completely different position. So this is not the same Ohio State defense. Um, it's it's still a very good defense, and I don't think that you can necessarily just explain away Ohio State as having eight starters because, I mean, you know how this works. Ohio State plugs in, uh, you know, these next top 100 players, and they're fine, but... Um, it is week two against a very young and inexperienced defense. So I think he's got that working for him. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, he he can move a little bit. Uh, you know, I that was kind of my biggest takeaway against uh, Indiana is that he he is willing, able, and, um, you know, you, you want to toss around the phrase sneaky athletic, but, I mean, that is kind of it for uh, for Sean Clifford. He's he's a, a very defined quarterback and he is more comfortable in the pocket than out of it. But like, that doesn't mean that he's not going to scramble and get uh, 10, 15 yards on a, on a team that um, is kind of been leaky for, for uh, running quarterbacks in the past. So I think, um, I think that he could have a chance uh, to really face a team that is inexperienced um, is uh, headed into a hostile environment, even though it's not a whiteout, it's still at Penn State. Um, you know, I, I I think that there's a lot more this year going in his favor than there was last year, you know? I, and you have to even look at the timeline last year, too. Penn State got Ohio State after it really started its murder streak, too. Like, it wasn't it wasn't like you, you got Ohio State at the beginning of the season before, you know, um, team before they put it together and were that uh, that you know beast of a team that was demolishing everybody it played you know that Penn State kind of got Ohio State in the midst of that run so I, I don't know I, I just think that for Clifford there is a lot more working in his favor this year that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to come out and be look like a, an all-star or anything like that but I, I think that um, he is going to no matter what, look better this week. I, I think that there are definitely some red flags. I think uh, he made some mistakes against Indiana. Like the, the the two interceptions that he threw were horrific, horrific interceptions. So I, I think there there are those things like that. So um, I he can't do things like that. He has to protect the ball. You can't beat yourself. But I, I like I like his chances of looking. Um, much, much better against this iteration of Ohio State defense. And then there's the the Penn State rushing attack, which uh, I, I've an interesting theory on. Uh, I apologize for saying something that I think is interesting. That's a very podcast host thing to do, and I did not mean <laughs> to do that. But I do have a theory on like how I think Penn State is going to approach this game uh, on the ground. Uh, but Kevin, last week, I mean... A lot of it came on two runs, but uh, a 47-yarder by Luke McCaffrey, a 39-yarder by Adrian Martinez. But one, it did look like there was a little bit of space for Nebraska to attack in its rushing game. And two, something that we've mentioned, when a quarterback is able to get loose against Ohio State's defense. Just historically, it's something that's given them problems. What do you think that Clifford, uh, and then Devin Ford and, and Kayvon Lee, because I Holmes, to whatever extent he plays, is going to be able to accomplish against this uh, Ohio State rushing defense? Yeah, the the thing with Ohio State is that the, the front four is completely different, um, but the linebacking core is as veteran as it gets with talent behind it too. Um, and so I, I think that you did see a little bit, I, I, credit to Nebraska too, especially on that first drive, they they knew exactly what Ohio State was going to do. They knew exactly what Ohio State's base defense was going to do. Um, and they schemed it up. They completely schemed it up. They had players doing whatever they wanted them to do. Um, you know, there, there's a couple scenarios where they, purposely had uh, Baron Browning and um, 
tough Portland, completely out of position, uh, that long run. There were just a lot of things that Nebraska did um, that was uh, schemed and played perfectly into their hand, especially on that first drive. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily know, especially if you're talking about that first drive, how much that's going to really come into play. Um, I, I think that was just uh, don't take anything away from Scott Frost. He's he's a, a very good coach. So um, there's not a ton of concern there, uh, especially at the linebackers. But if you can get past those linebackers um, and into the next level, I think that's where you can start to see, um, you know, things busting loose. Uh, if you can find a way to handle those uh, those unblocked um linebackers and uh you know get past that free hitter um things like that if if you can if you can handle that then um i think that it's going to be uh that you there's potential for some big plays but i um i don't think that it's necessarily going to come i wouldn't expect it to come on an every down basis but if a guy like Clifford or you can get somebody open in a screen pass, you've got a young inexperienced secondary who's not used to making crucial uh, open field tackles or um, taking good pursuit angles or anything like that. So there is potential just because of inexperience, because these guys haven't played for some big plays. Um, you know, Ohio state's theme of their defense last year was to limit big plays, but they were also really experienced last year. And I think when you start to put, um, younger guys on the road against a talented, talented team like Penn State, there are chances for some big plays. I, I think that Penn State's going to want to try to control the line of scrimmage and move the ball and get, you know, those four or five yards of carry um, and control the clock and really control the game. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but I could see quite a few big plays happening. So, Matt, I'm going to shout out uh, our own Dan Smith and Sean Fitz over at 24-7 for both pointing out something that uh, seemed to be correct to me. And that was that it kind of felt like Penn State's game plan. You know, I'm just going to read uh, what Dan wrote in snap counts. Uh, it was pretty clear that they had game planned, uh, they being Penn State, for uh, Noah Kane's particular running style. Ford struggled to replicate Kane's abilities in the game plan. Uh, Lee was the running back who stood out the most. To me, what I think was last week, they didn't really have a Devin Ford game plan. They had the Noah Kane is going to carry the football 25-30 times game plan, and they just struggled to get away with that, which is why the offense looked the best when Kayvon Lee, the guy who was the most re uh, the most similar to Kane, was in there and running and attacking. My theory, and it, you could tell me that I'm crazy here, is that I think they're going to have some more stuff that is a little more um, friendly to what Devin Ford is able to do. Uh, you know, a a little more athletic, a little more shifty, a little quicker, those sorts of things, while having Lee there doing the uh, do, doing a Kane impression and having the option of Sean Clifford running the football on his legs, I think we're going to see a more varied Penn State rushing attack this week with the hopes that with what they can do up front and with the number of ways they think they're going to be able to beat you running the football... I think this is probably where Penn State has its best chance of making stuff happen against, like Kevin said, an Ohio State secondary that can maybe be prone to letting you, uh, an Ohio State defense that can maybe be prone to letting you get some stuff on the ground if you're able to make a guy or two miss. I think this might be the hottest take I have about the Indiana game. If Kayvon Lee gets the bulk of the carries, Penn State wins that game. I was so incredibly impressed with the way that freshman ran the football. It looked like Noah Kane. It looked outstanding. And I think that they are going to shift their focus to Devin Ford, like you said, but I still think we're going to see a ton of Kayvon Lee because I think, like I said, if Penn State's going to control the clock, that's Kayvon Lee's bread and bread and butter. It, it, I wish it was Noah Kane. I feel just gutted for that poor kid to, to have to miss the season after missing time last year. Just, just awful. But 
you know, the show goes on. So I, I really hope we see a 50-50 split. I think that would be fantastic. But again, I do think they're going to game plan a lot more for Devin Ford. I think the goal is going to be to get him in space because I think Ford's the kind of back who in space, there's not many guys who are, who are going to be able to bring him down, you know, on, on their own, on their own island. So I, I'm very optimistic about what we're going to see out of Ford. Again, I think we all agree Ford was the most talented back in, in Penn State's running back room. It was mm-hmm. just going to take him some time. Uh, you know, as a recruit, he was he was clearly the best. So, you know, I, I really do think skill players will step up when they get that opportunity. I think Ford's too good not to. So I don't really know what to expect out of him. Um, but as long as they get him in space, I think, you know, he could be a guy to to break off a couple of, you know, seven plus yard runs. And, you know, and if you're getting that, you're in good shape. And then let Kayvon Lee come in and really be that battering ram. I want to see a solid 50-50 split unless one of those two or maybe even Kazaya Holmes really gets in a rhythm. Then you ride the hot hand. But by at large, I think it's going to have to be somewhat of a merry-go-round here. Yeah, I mean, I I do wonder if Penn State's um, propensity to try and keep guys fresh, try and uh, have a collection of options, just all these things that are good in theory and, um, God, how do I phrase this? Like, they're not bad, but they have to be done correctly. I just wonder if they are going to, uh, you know, maybe be a little bit more reliant on a guy like Ford because uh, this is against a, you know, a good defense. You don't want to play the freshman too much for the ready, blah, 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 blah. And you're always concerned about if Ohio State, you know, if Kayvon Lee fumbles a football, which I don't know if, if he's someone who would do that because his arms are Kayvon Lee, Kayvon Lee, wear gloves this week, please. Yes, please. Please Uh, wear gloves this week. Yeah, Kevin, I don't know if you know this, but Penn State has a six foot, 220 pound true freshman running back who doesn't wear any gloves or things on his arms. (laughs) And he just runs between the tackles. And uh, this early in his career, I'm already just in love with this dude. Like it, 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 it makes for a very cool visual, but yeah, I mean, that's something that, I don't want to see them do too much rotating there because I just want to see Penn State get someone in a rhythm and keep letting them be in that rhythm, which maybe would have been a little different with uh, Journey Brown. But we'll, uh, who knows? We'll never, we'll, we'll unfortunately uh, not know that this week. I want to move to the matchup to watch as we are uh, preparing for this one. Penn State's offense, to me, it has to be the passing game against a relatively green and the receivers, uh, including Pat Fryermuth against a relatively green Ohio state secondary. I think this is a really good opportunity, whether it's a guy like Jahan Dotson or whether it is one of the dudes we have been waiting to see, uh, breakout, maybe a Daniel George, maybe a Cam Sullivan Brown, if he's able to play, or if it's an opportunity for a freshman, Keandre Lambert Smith or Parker Washington, some ones have to be able to make things happen against this Ohio State secondary and give Sean Clifford the opportunity to complete easy passes. Matt, uh, what's the matchup that you are going to be looking for in this one? Yeah, it took too long for us to give Pat Fryermuth some some airtime here. Uh, I don't think the, the guys on the outside are ready, especially with Sean Wade kind of patrolling out there. So I'm not looking for, you know, Jahan Dotson to have a big game. I'm not really looking for Parker Washington, who I thought played pretty well. Uh, hopefully Cam Sullivan Brown is back and healthy. We don't really know what happened, uh, that he wasn't able to go. Uh, Daniel George, good job. You know, all that kind of fun stuff. But I think it's going to be about Pat Fryermuth and in that RPO and in those short passes and him going out there and beating linebackers and slot corners Fryer, again i i don't want to see deep shots in this kind of game i don't think that's what penn state needs or what their strength is i think it's going to be a lot of dink and dump stuff to Fryermouth, who then has to go out there make dudes miss and he said he wants to win the mackey i don't think that's going to happen kyle pitts is too good but he can go out there and will himself into the conversation for it with a big game against ohio state so i i really think that has to be Clifford's first read. And and I think Ohio State's going to do a really good job trying to prevent that. And then in that scenario, 
then they're going to have to rely on, you know, Jahan Dotson, Daniel George, you know, one of these other dudes. But the n- priority number one has to be, you know, game planning around getting Fryer with the ball in space and letting him go out there and do things only Pat Fryer with can do. Yeah, Kevin, a uh, question over to you. What's the matchup that you're going to be paying attention to? Yeah, and once again, I'm going to go. I'm going to agree with Matt here that from an Ohio State perspective, I am fascinated to see what Ohio State's going to do with Pat Firemuth um, because the alignment has really changed quite a bit. I think last year you saw um, Sean Wade played the slot and he was on Firemuth a lot and Pete Warner was over at Sam Linebacker and he was on Firemuth when Sean Wade was not, which was most of the time. I think Pete Warner was on Firemuth most of the time. Um, at least most of the time where he was targeted. Um, and both of those guys are not playing those positions anymore. Is, um, you know, Pete Warner is down at the will and Sean Wade is out wide now. So I don't know what Ohio State's going to do there. I don't know if they're going to, you know, show off some new alignments. I don't know if they're going to move Pete Warner back out to outside sometimes. I don't know if Sean Wade's going to flip to the slot cornerback sometimes. I I really don't know. Um, there's a lot of unknowns there. I don't know how Ohio State's going to handle that. I don't know if they're just going to give it to um, the new guys that are in the slot. I don't know if they're going <laughs> to give it to Baron Browning. I don't know. But he is by far the best player on that offense. I think, you know, you, you, you uh, mentioned that Kyle pitched is too good. I think that Fryermuth is better. Um, I, in terms of being a complete tight end, he's a much better blocker. He's, uh, in my opinion, the best tight end in this upcoming class. Uh, I think that he's one of the best players in the Big Ten, and it's um, wild to me that Ohio State's playing him, and I have absolutely no idea how they're going to stop him. Um, it, it's not like they didn't do it last year. It's not like they didn't do fine last year. I, I don't think he had a very exceptional game when when Pete Warner was on him I, I think Pete Warner frankly made a lot of money um guarding him last year but uh I just the fact that they've shifted guys around um and they played them at positions that are um not guarding Pat Fryermuth uh last week um I I just don't know what they're going to do there so I'm very curious to see that because as you mentioned he's obviously going to be the focal point of Penn State's passing game. Obviously, that's obvious to everybody. So I just don't know. And it's it's really interesting. So um, that's what I'm going to be watching because they have to stop him on the defense. That is priority one. And I don't know who it's going to be. So let's get to predictions. I mean, this is uh, this is the game. Uh, well, it's not the game. Well, how, how should we do this? Is the game Ohio State-Michigan and then the uh, we do the uh, – we do the Ohio State fan thing for this one. Like Kevin, do do you have a, a a ruling on how we should operate this one as our resident Buckeye? Uh, you know, just follow your heart. It it doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's a lowercase t. Yeah, it's yeah. Lowercase it's a lowercase t. The, the the game in Michigan is the game. Yeah, it's yeah. It, this is this is just the game. Things. All right, yeah, I, that, I, that works. I, I think that is perfectly. Perfectly fair. Uh, let's go to lower cage the game. Penn State against Ohio State. Uh, 7.30 p.m. kick on ABC. Again, Buckeyes 11-point favorites over under of 64 and a half. Kevin, as our esteemed guest, floor is yours. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't see... I don't think Ohio State's really going to be super threatened in this game. But I also think that it's going to be late until they're able to pull away. Um, I, I think it's kind of one of those bounce around at Ohio State leading seven to ten points kind of all game. Um, but I, I do think after a while they will pull away sometime in the fourth quarter. So I've got it around um, maybe 42-24, um, barely covering that spread with kind of a late score. But I think it's going to feel more like a 35-24 game. Uh, Matt, over to you. What are you thinking? So I, I talked myself back into back into believing in a little bit of a closer game throughout the course of, of this podcast. So I, I think Penn State, I think Vegas is really overreacting to, to Penn State losing to Indiana because, frankly, Penn State beat themselves more than they lost to Indiana. And I think this coaching staff is too good to let lightning strike twice. So I think Penn State keeps it close. I'm going to go somewhere in Ohio State 42, Penn State 35. 
I, I think Penn State can really control the clock here, but I think Ohio State has just too many weapons to go out there and, and then not drop a ton of points. So it's going to be another heartbreaker. It's not going to be fun. Uh, but I think Penn State kind of proves that they're better than I think a lot of people are giving them credit for here. Yeah, yeah. to kind of piggyback off that, I, I think I think that the perception, especially from Ohio State fans who maybe just tuned into that game as Indiana was uh, trying to tie it at the end of the game, I think there's a lot of like, haha, Penn State lost to Indiana in here. But one, Indiana's a good team. Like, they are not a bad football team. And two, all you need to do is look at the box score of that game, and it should tell you who actually, like, controlled and should have won that that football game. You know, like, you look at time of possession, Penn State had it 40 to 20. And you look at total yards, Penn State outgained Indiana by more yards than Indiana had. So it was 288 to 211. So, like, the final score was not reflective of how good Penn State was in that game. So I think I, I totally buy that, that there is a lot of overreaction to um, to Penn State, uh, you know, kind of coming out flat in the last, what, like minute and 30 seconds against Indiana. So I, I think that... Um, that Penn State is a much better team than the perception is maybe nationally and certainly what the perception is uh, in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, still mad. Uh, but as <laughs> I as I look at this one, I'm... I'm oh God, that 11... 11 seems right. I mean, if there's one thing that we know about Penn State and Ohio State is that one, James Franklin's always able to get his guys up for that game. And two, Penn State's always able to put together a good game plan against Ohio State. Now, it hasn't worked the last three years, but we're talking about there are two one-point losses in there. Like, it's not like Ohio State has gone out and just mollywopped Penn State. Mm-hmm. Like, they're still close games. Not having the whiteout hurts. Uh, kind of the big thing looming over this to me is, and this is something that I, Kevin, I mentioned to you when we were talking, and I think I mentioned this on the recap pod, Penn State's been really bad at getting over losses over the last couple of years in the James Franklin era. They're really good at carrying a loss into the next game and letting last week's loss beat them. And I think that having Ohio State the week after a loss is something that Listen, I don't think Penn State's better. Like it's better that they're. It's more likely they win because of it. No, nothing like that. Absolutely nothing like that. But I think it forces them to get over the loss that they had last week quicker than if they were following this up with like Maryland or if they were following this up with, uh, you know, some Big Ten wet like Illinois or something like that. You know what I mean? So I think that that helps Penn State. They're going to come out. They're going to play hard. They're going to keep it really close all game. Uh, I think Ohio State wins. I think a little more defensive of a game, a little more low scoring. I'm taking the under on 64 and a half. I'm going Ohio State 31, Penn State 20. Um, I just don't know if Penn State ultimately has the firepower to beat Ohio State in this one. Uh, But I think it's going to be a fantastic football game. Like, I don't think that there is any reason to think that this game is going to be hilariously one-sided in Ohio State's direction. I don't think that it's going to be a game that Penn State, like 2016, they grit and grind and they eventually tough it out in the end. I think this is just a really solid football game and one where I guess I'm going to pose this final question. You guys, like, we're going along. We'll skip Big Ten chat uh, this time, but I want to pose this one final question to you guys, and it's a fill-in-the-blank. Matt, we could start with you. If Penn State wins this game, if Penn State's able to pull off this upset, it's because blank happens. What is that blank? They ran for almost 200 yards, and they didn't turn the ball over. And then, Kevin, over to you. If Penn State wins this game, it's because of blank. Uh, Because Ohio State turned the ball over and or didn't score in um, short-yarded situations or didn't convert in short-yarded situations. I think that could easily happen with how uh, lackluster we've seen this running game turn into. And listen, uh, we have 
certainly have differing opinions on this. Uh, I would like it a lot if that was the case. I'm sure you would like it if that was not the case, but we can certainly agree uh, that we appreciated having you on. We had a great time here, Kevin. Uh, let the folks know where they could find you if they uh, want to look into you and possibly uh, send complaints. Oh, wait, no, you took DJ's old email address out of your Twitter bio. So that I did. We, we, we don't I want did. people sending you complaints then. No, no complaints, but you can, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Kevin ish. Um, and you can find me writing the words over at 11 warriors.com. So if you, if you need to trash talk me or tell me how wrong I am, then you can find me there. Yeah. Uh, please don't do that, but if you're going to do that, uh, do it in a way that is fun and lighthearted and respectful. Kevin, uh, thank you very much for joining, and everyone, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, as always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast uh, on any of the various podcasting platforms where you can find this. If you're going on to Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Subs- uh, follow us on all of our various social media platforms, uh, and make sure you're always reading and supporting the site, and again, the best way to do that is to make sure you are buying some shirts we have a new hoodie that is out and for those of you uh who would maybe like a little bit of good penn state juju heading into this one is a shirt that says we are not normal we are legends dion butler's famous quote before penn state beat ohio state in the horseshoe in 2008 please go out purchase that and have fun watching this weekend's game i think we're in for a great one one last time Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.